Welcome, Legionaries, to episode 12 of Legion Cast Hobby Roundtable 4. I am your host, Warwick, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brandon, my brother, Maniple, and our other co-host, Paul. Hello, my Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me, Big Titty Eldar Simps. Welcome to Legion Cast. Well, thanks for having me again, everybody. Greetings, fellow Longbeards. Never forget what they took from you. Good to be back on the podcast, guys. Thanks for having me again. Again, you're like a nonstop guest. <laughs> so what's everybody drinking tonight? I'm lame again. I'm just drinking tea. It's okay. We've come to expect it to you, from you at this point. Um, I am drinking a yingling. I'm making one of my favorite winter drinks, which is a mix of Frangelico and Chambord, which our brother-in-law bartender calls nuts and berries. It's good. That sounds like Rochambeau. And I'm just rocking the Dr. Pepper, classiest of drinks. Nice. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Boo. Apparently Manipole and I are the only cool kids on this podcast. Look, I've drank like two podcasts in a row. I I think I earn a pass. <laughs> oh, two podcasts in a row. I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah, two podcasts in a row with me both getting sloshed and talking about who knows what. <laughs> Probably best we don't hit the sauce too hard. I uh, well I yeah fun. <laughs> when I was trying to do the the canon discussion on the last round table I got blasted like halfway through that and so I <laughs> I literally had to have you guys bail me out on that one trust trust me we we noticed um but let's let's jump into it here what's on you guys uh what's on your hobby table tell me about it well I'm setting myself a challenge to paint as many models as I can this year I have a very large collection of not just um uh models in boxes, but models put together and primed. And right now I'm working on my 40K orcs, some of which I've had for 25 years and still unpainted. I did early this month finish the first um, 50 in my challenge, including some big vehicles. Now I'm going to finish up all my troops. And then with the exception of a few little odds and ends, that army will be done. Then it's probably back to Alpha Legion. I've got almost everything blocked in color wise. Now I just need to go through and kind of clean everybody up. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah. I've been liking the look of those orcs and you've really been knocking them out. I've been impressed with the pictures you've been posting. So I just finished up. I finally got around to finishing my cataphractic terminators and the uh, land Raider Spartan for them. And those turned out really nice. I also painted a Balrog for middle earth SBG and currently my in-the-works project are 15 tactical marines for my ultramarines. And those shouldn't take very long. And after that, I'm going to have to build some uh, heavy support guys and paint a dreadnought. So I've got uh, everything lined up there. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I am also working on some Middle-Earth right now. I am working on some Warriors of Harad for my Middle-Earth Escalation League that I'm taking part in. Uh, and then my... We'll, we'll get to it, but uh, I want to get a lot of these Harad guys knocked out, and I'm going to be mixing them in all year with my Dark Angels to kind of keep things fresh for myself. Doing, I, I tried a quick contrast color scheme. Unfortunately, I was foiled by some matte varnish that wasn't quite so matte, and uh, so I've been trying to fix that today, and it's been going okay, but that's, uh, that's what I'm working on right now. Yeah, that, that big model you finished up was pretty nice. Yeah, I did finish up the, the Mumak. I finished up Dumbo. 
I, it was a lot of fun to paint. Uh, it was one of my biggest model from a modeling standpoint. It was one of my bigger modeling challenges that I've done on my own. Um, I had to break out some tricks that I haven't used all that much. For doing the skin, did you do a all one color and then ink it? Or did you paint each individual fold? How did you do the skin on that? Oh, dry brush to win. That's uh, So all I did was I spray painted it with uh, Mechanicus Standard Gray. And then I washed it with Nuln Oil and dry, did two or three dry brushes of a couple of different grays. And that's the skin. Paul, what's on your hobby table? Yeah, I'm uh, trying to finish up my 3,000 points of Sons of Horus. So working on the airbrush stuff now, it's been a going okay. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it when we get into the uh, one of the topics for the night. But yeah, just airbrushing shenanigans. Always fun. I heard you assembled all your rhinos wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was talking about that a little before the podcast. Um, so I was looking at the rhinos today. And so you have a couple of panels like the doors, the turret mounts, a couple other things on there that are pretty loose and how they fit on the model. And I didn't realize it until today, but each rhino is glued on differently. So like the seam lines on the doors are reversed on one of the tanks. The turret mounts are not lined up the same and they're a little off center too. So when you're looking at a single tank, you don't notice it. But when you have two or three of them right next to each other, it's the only thing you can see. And it just bothers me to no end. And it's plastic glued, so they ain't going nowhere. <laughs> so was it the lack of sleep or the booze? I'm not sure what it was, but uh, yeah, you know, that uh, Forge World was really putting out some shoddy work that day. Throw some paint on it, it'll look fine. Yeah, I've got a ton of rhinos for my Space Marine Army, and I've assembled them over a course of years. And as I go back now and look at all, they're all so different. I've hacked some of them apart to put them back together the way I want. It's got so dire. I got on eBay to try to find a vehicle accessory sprue so I could get the turrets right. Yep, I, I feel your pain. So do we want to jump into our first topic here and talk about some hobby news? Yeah, sounds great. So I think we're just going to go down the list and see what uh, what things are going to get released this year from GW. And I think we've got a pretty pretty consolidated list right here. Does anybody want to talk Horus Ascendant? I think our resident Sons of Horus player needs to talk about Horus Ascendant. So Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, they've... Um... They've shown the picture for this a while back. It's a cool model. A lot of people are kind of weirded out by the base, and I'm one of those two. It's a it's a bit much, but it is cool looking. It fits the aesthetic. Uh, two things I noticed on the new release update that I don't think had been talked about is this is Forge World resin. It's not plastic. They also haven't. Let's see. Uh, let me check the actual website. He's 144, so he's about $20 more than the non-ascended Horus, which isn't bad. It's still a lot. Yeah, cool model. I think we're not going to see a lot of people running him. You're going to see a lot of people buying the model because it's a cool centerpiece. You're never going to see him on the tabletop. And it's because he's 1,000 points. You know, So you're going to need a 4,000-point game to run him to begin with. And honestly, his stats, they're good. You're getting your 1,000 points. It's just... He's not going to bring a whole lot to the army. He gives them corrupted, and that's about it. 
Yeah, I actually got to disagree with you there. You know, when we ran our duel a few weeks ago with the Lion versus Horus and then versus Horus Ascended, you know, you had that one turn where you popped all that chaos stuff and he was scary, but he couldn't put a Primarch down in that one turn. And then he kind of just went back to being what he was already. So I don't know that I, I'm that impressed by his thousand point version. Now, obviously that's just a duel and not the an actual game. First off, I agree with you because... I mean, most people aren't going to be playing 4,000 points, so you're not going to see them all that often. But honestly, based on what I saw, I really don't think you're missing that much. Yeah, I think another thing that needs to be kind of mentioned is at the 4,000 point level, you know, a Warhound Titan is like 980 points. You can get a Reaver body for under 1,000, you know, probably twelve to 1,500 with arms and the Carapace. And, you know, Heresy is the type of game where people have access to those models. It's not like 40k where Titans are a rarity. So, you know, when you're playing those games and you're putting Horus on the table, he's going to spend the first two turns in a transport or deep striking, and then the third turn in combat. Meanwhile, they have a Warhound. It's going to be tricky. Yeah, and with those big models, or big high points value models, you've got a huge opportunity cost. Where when you look at that breakdown, you could say, well, I could have 40 Terminators. I could have eight squads of tactical Marines. I could have three or four tanks. There, there's so many other things that could be running around the battlefield doing other stuff for you. He, he'd have to have a really powerful aura that buffed the whole army all the time for that to really be worth it. Yeah, what he brings to the table is you can pay 25 points per squad to give him Corrupted. Which is solid, it's just not anything to write home about. And kind of on that opportunity cost thing, it, it it's kind of the discussion with Sons of Horus players, where even regular Horus is hard to justify, considering that three Contemptor Dreadnoughts are the same points, and probably will accomplish a lot more for you. Yeah, going along with what Neapolis said, I kind of ran into this, uh, a similar issue with one of our later on segments, is justifying like a, a points heavy model versus the versatility or weight of fire you will get from just like a tactical squad or a heavy support squad or something. So it's, yeah, I could definitely see why that would be really difficult to, to justify. Yeah. So it's going to be one of those things where you'll see it bought, you'll see it painted, it'll look amazing. And then you'll never see it on the tabletop, which is a shame because it is a really cool model. Yeah. And a word on that base, I'm pretty sure that is just a, call to the the trailer they released for the Horus Heresy where he's walking across the battlefield killing everybody and that is right out of the ground he's walking on this whole pile of bones and broken power armor it also goes along with um, a line from the last book we talked about Legion where Grammaticus says Horus will become a monster above all other monsters so for it to be kind of over the top or look very brutal or vicious or just downright ugly or horrific it's very in keeping with the image that horus is to ascend to literally so (laughs) well he's definitely going to be standing above everyone else considering that base is about an inch and a half tall of skulls that's some tactical rocks there if i've ever seen them (laughs) yeah i think i saw uh, a side-by-side comparison uh, earlier this week where the, the side-by-side of the the old model and the Ascended model, the Ascended model is a percentage bigger. So yeah. um, you're definitely getting a, a, a lot more model there. Not yeah. just the base, but the, the, the Primarch himself. Yeah. 
very cool centerpiece. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what else do we got? We got the Typhoon Heavy Siege Tank rumbling towards us. And I'm a big fan of this one because uh, I ran the Vindicator quite a bit in 40k. And so I'm a a big fan of this setup here. It's a Land Raider with a Demolisher Cannon on it. So I'm all about it. Oh, this thing, this is probably my favorite thing that they've announced so far uh, of the things coming next year. I'm so excited for it. It looks so cool to me. Just having that big F off cannon on the front. Um, especially on a on a Land Raider chassis, you know, I, I'm excited. I think that this is this thing is definitely going to be hitting the tables. I plan on picking one up myself. It's one of those things that I will find a way to get it on the table. It comes with the Cerberus, uh, C, or, no, sorry, the Dreadhammer Siege Cannon. But do you think it will also be able to make the Cerberus tank out of that model? It's the same chassis, I believe, with a centerline mounted neutron laser battery judging by how versatile the other kits they've released have been i would imagine that'll be the case but it's always hard to tell with gw see i'm not sure because they did two sets for the predator the demos pattern predator uh, predator and didn't they do two sakaran sets as well but i think even in those kits you still had multiple options yeah well yeah yeah but not the same options is what I'm saying. Cause that's what I looked at when I did the, the Demos pattern predator for Brandon. Um, I had to kind of pick which kit I was going to get to do that because they don't all have the same weapon options. I suppose it'll just depend on how they want to lay out the chassis. If the neutron gun's going to be significantly different in the front, instead of just a gun swap, they might come out with another kit for it, but it's hard to say. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've noticed there's been a lot of tanks getting released, and I think it's because it's pretty easy for them to play with the Rhino and Land Raider chassis to just put different guns on them. For me, I, you guys are excited because you'll be able to take these pretty easily in your army. Sons of Horrors players aren't going to be anywhere near as excited because all of our rights of war are like, no heavy support, none, you're not allowed to have any kind of thing. So it's going to be, if I take this, it's going to be very difficult for me to put into a list, as cool as it looks. And those would be very different sorts of weapons, too. The neutron laser battery on the Cerberus is range 72, strength 10, ordnance 4, whereas the Dreadhammer is only range 24, but it's strength 12, ordnance 1. But it does have the large blast uh, template. Five Are those the only two gun options for that tank i believe so you can get different stuff on the sponsons but yeah. it's basically the dread hammer or the neutron laser battery does it have machine spirit mm, no it does not Ooh, that kind of sucks well all it has is the se- the centerline cannon and two sponsons so you'd miss out on a sponson shot but don't the ordinance rules uh don't they get kind of tricky when you try to move and shoot i'd have to look them up i no. think so no no you're that you're thinking of or, ordinance allow uh you're thinking of barrage sorry yep i was yeah i was thinking of that uh the the dreadhammer siege cannon is also brutal four so that's fun now i think this thing is going to be great i know when this first got teased some some of you guys were talking about it's only range 24 cannon i think this thing's going to be fine getting up yeah, the board the range I'm doesn't really bother me worried about it can you give them a flare shield it comes with a flare shield and six hp 
Well, that's handy. 14 yeah. armor. Yeah, it's going to have no problem getting up there. I think that, in a lot of ways, that's almost better than the Kratos because you have to pay for the Kratos's flare shield. So it's 425 I, points. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably more than a Kratos right. is and with can the you, shield. Uh, yeah, I guess it, it all depends on how you want to kit this thing out with uh, sponsons and other stuff. So I don't know. I, th- I think it's going to be fun. I mean, like Brandon says, I'm, I'm excited as well. Sorry you don't get any cool toys, Paul. It's just sorry, I guess. You get Horus Ascended, man. You get the most expensive Primark in the game. Yeah, but twice over, because the other Prime one is 600. I think the next Primark is like 150 points cheaper. So next uh, next thing that they've teased is uh, a new Siege of Terra book, which is exciting. You know, we are kind of a book cast mm-hmm. here, uh, but this is The End and the Death, Volume 1 by Dan Abnett. Doesn't... Uh, in Horus Rising, doesn't Samus say that through the Vox? He's like, I am the end, I am the death. Samus will gnaw on your bones. Samus is the man beside you. I'm pretty I mean, that sure that sounds that's in like his. something he would say. That guy's kind of a dick. It's Well, it's interesting because it's an Abnett character, and I'm pretty sure that that's a, a line from Samus the Demon. So that that's a little, cons- well, that's a little interesting, a little concerning. We'll see. Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on this one because we're going to eventually at some point review it years from now. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. Happy to see him wrapping it up. Well, then there were three simple outlines that they showed and it looks like one is going to be some kind of a scimitar jet bike of some sort. Then I'm guessing an assassin and it looks like a psyker. Is that kind of what you guys are thinking? Yeah, I think the Psyker is right. I think the Assassin might be some kind of uh, possessed. Although that it's got like the um, kind of the spinal column thing. Looks like going up its back into its head, which uh, don't the Calidus or the Calexus Assassins have something like that? Yeah, he's got like a big head thing. Well, he's got like a power claw thing too by the look of it. I'm also looking at the silhouette of this, what we think is the librarian. Um, I think that's a safe bet. Um, But the way that the staff looks, it's a little chaos-y, so I wonder if this is more along the lines of like a sorcerer. Yeah. Or maybe it could be either one. And I'm guessing the two small models are going to be Forge World Resin. What do you think of the bikes? Are we going to get a plastic bike? I'd love to see that. It would make sense because we already have resin jet bikes. So there wouldn't be much reason for them to release another one. Yeah, and honestly, if it is another resin jet bike, this sucks. <laughs> it was not even worth teasing. Yeah, I'll just be straight up. That's terrible. Uh, but if it's a plastic jet bike that goes from sucks to amazing, White Scars player rejoice. I'd put money down on it being plastic. Yeah, and that would be great for me because the Alpha Legion wants to run a lot of fast attack choices. Not just headhunters, but if I if I had headhunters and bikes, that'd be a great little, great little list. Yeah, Sons of Horus are the same way, so it'd be good to have them. Uh, speaking of Alpha Legion, you want to talk about the last last out silhouette there, Exodus? Yeah, yeah, that was for me kind of a funny reveal because immediately people started looking at his gun, trying to figure out how it operates, because it's got a a magazine, and the gun is when it's used in its kind of rapid fire configuration shoots three bullets, like a three, three shot burst, but it's a bolt action rifle. So nobody can figure out how it's supposed to be shooting three at once with a bolt action. 
and it just the the rifle looks really awesome but the more you look at it the more it doesn't make sense so there's been some speculation about that i i know exactly how it works it's one of those um fully semi-automatic assault high capacity death rifles well something that people have been pointing out that i thought is funny is it has a fire selector on the side of the the gun and the way he's holding the model, he has a finger out and he's pointing at the fire selector as to be like, this is how it shoots a three round burst guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I showed that to some buddies in my, one of my RPG servers and they were like, what is that? I was like, that's the selector switch. No, but it's a bolt action. I was like, yeah. And it's magazine fed too. Well, there was one guy who he drew two lines on it. One red one at the top of the barrel and a green one at the bottom. It's possible that it's a double-barreled over-under rifle. And the top one is bolt action, where you put in your turbo penetrator round, and then the bottom barrel is fed by the magazine for your three-round burst. Maybe That could be pretty interesting. Um, it was hard to tell in the picture, but maybe maybe we're all wrong. Yeah, that would be pretty slick if that's the case. Um, I would dig it, but right now it just looks goofy. Yeah, it does, but I'm still going to buy it. Oh, yeah, you are. And also, fuck you. I hate that guy. Like, I hate that guy so much. Hey, he's he's it's a, a great non, model, and also fuck you. He's a non-issue in Maniple rolls ones. Just make Maniple roll once; it's fine. He's ballistic skill six. He gets a reroll, doesn't he? I can I roll know. three ones twice in a row. Yeah, it's completely within his scope of ability. No, you roll the three ones to hit, or and then reroll those to to wound and or to hit actually hit, and then you roll three ones in your wound roll. That's how it works. Yeah. I mean, the oddities of the gun aside, it is a really nice looking model. It's it basically is exactly what I think Exodus should look like. I think they should have just reprinted the Alfarius model. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that should just be the whole army. Just yeah. buy nothing but Alfarius models. <laughs> well, Boy, I if think... I win the lottery. <laughs> well, I think that that's all the new releases. Um, anything else we need to talk about in the hobby news section here? Nothing comes to my mind. All right. Well, in that case, let's get on to Fulgrim's Quest, everybody. All right. We decided as a group uh, that we were going to make some New Year's resolutions uh, for, you know, new hobby, new army, or in our case, no new army, just actually painting the ones we have. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go around, we're going to talk about them. And then we're going to document them in our Legion Cast Google Doc. And at the end of the year here, we're going to come back and we're all going to be shamed for not sticking to our New Year's resolutions. So I want to start with Warwick here. What's your New Year's resolution and how soon will you fail? So I'm, well, I won't fail until the next year. So uh, I'm calling this my uh, New Year's 3000. So I built a 3000 point list for my Ultramarines. And it is a Centurion, uh, the Master of Signals Centurion, sorry. Uh, two Contemptor Dreadnoughts, uh, ten Cataphractic Terminators, and a Land Raider that are already done. Two Tactical Squads, a Tactical Support Squad, a Heavy Support Squad, and a Kratos. So if I can get the... Oh, and Bobby G. So if I can get all that knocked out in, say, the next six months, my next project after that is to... It's either I'm either going to have to pick something 40k or Middle Earth, and I'm leaning towards Middle Earth because if I can knock out like 30 goblins and a troll for my Moria list, I think that'll be done. So that is my New Year's 3000. So my New Year's goal is to paint every day. 
Now, I know that's going to be technically impossible, but what I'm trying to do is on my own Discord page is to log in the models that I've painted over a course of days. So if I can, you know, log like five days and there's at least five models completed in there, I'm counting that as a success. So in the first part of this month, like I said, in the first section, I've already painted 50 orcs or different orc models. So I'm going to finish up these 40K orcs because there's another guy locally I play with and get that army finished and boxed up and done. Then it's on to Alpha Legion, get all my Alpha Legion models painted up. Then it's going to be on to Lord of the Rings, get my probably, um, what's the army I'm doing? Gondor Archers or Gondor, Gondor Rangers? What do they call that? I'm not sure what you were doing the Rangers for. Well, anyway, uh, I've got a, a bunch of different of, uses for them, though. Yeah, I'm going to do a bunch of Rangers. So I'll have a, I'll have a Lord of the Rings army. And then I'm going to move on to Age of Sigmar and finish up my Slaves to Darkness. So that gives me one done for every um, major system we have. And then if I get that done, I'll move on to something else. But those that's my goal for the years, those four. Okay, awesome. Well, I know I've been enjoying seeing your posts of everything that you've been getting done. It's kept me get motivated. Well, and I think the idea of trying to paint something every day, even if it's just cleaning up one model, it's it's so amazing how I don't feel like painting. I sit down and say, I'm just going to paint the bases. So I'll put a little brown paint on a base, and then I have to keep going. And I have to keep going, 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 until I've got to get out the door and get to my, my first appointment for the day. And so anyone out there who has trouble painting, just say, I'm going to paint the base and then just see what happens after that. Cause then you by then you got the water, you got the brush, you got your paints in front of you. Just keep going. If you do a little bit every day, boy, you'd have at least 365 models done by the end of the year. Yeah. There's that. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, the rule of 15 minutes. If you ever have to do any type of task, just convince yourself to do 15 minutes of a task. And once you're in there, your brain locks in and then you'll just continue past that 15 minutes to get it done if you need to. So that's kind of just that if you can get over that hurdle, you'll be fine. I guess I'll go next. Yeah. For my resolutions, I, I basically I'm keeping it pretty simple so that I can actually get it done. The main thing is I need to get this 3000 points of Sons of Horus done. Um, I should have the airbrushing done tonight. And then after that, it's just detail work and weathering. So hopefully that shouldn't take too long. The other thing is I actually picked up um, Figure Case, that app that uh, Warwick was talking about a couple hobby sessions ago. And once I got everything logged, it's I was actually pretty surprised with how much I have done. Um, I have probably about 900 models between every game I play, and I only have about 9% unbuilt still in the box. Um, so the plan is to get everything built get everything primed, and then kind of go from there. There's a lot of stuff in there like War Machine and stuff like 40K, even Age of Sigmar, we haven't been playing a lot. So if I can get it all built and primed, I can cold storage it, and it can come out of the you know, the attic whenever I get to a point where we need it again. But it's a lot better than just having sprues lying around. So that'll be the, the big project I work on. So figure case is surprisingly like therapeutic, like, and it, it gives you like a really clear visualization of all of your progress and like a, a kind of locked in um, idea of what you're actually doing as far as your hobby goals. Right. 
Yeah, it's been super useful. It's been very motivating to actually get stuff built just so I can see that number go to zero. So it'll be nice. Yeah, I need to, that's one of my goals for this month actually is to do a full inventory of all of my hobby stuff uh, because I also want to be selling off a few things that I'm not really using anymore. Clear space for me to buy more crap. But uh, in all seriousness, I, I'm actually, that's one of my hobby goals this year is to buy less uh, models because I already have plenty that are not done. You guys know that my financial situation is changing this year in a good way, but in a way that I have to be more disciplined about spending. So I've, I've come up, I think I've got some, I've made some very specific New Year's resolutions and uh, I'm hoping that in being specific in that way that I will, uh, I'll actually be able to push towards getting these done. Um, so my, my first one and my heresy related New Year's resolution is I want to paint 3,000 points of Dark Angels and my named characters. So the the lion will not count. No offense, Warwick, but I feel like putting the Primarch in there is a bit of a cheat to not have to paint as much, which I, I didn't want to give myself that out. Then I got really excited seeing Manipole and Warwick playing Titanicus. So I decided that I have a Legio that has been sitting new on Sprue for almost a year in my closet. So I am going to finish my Regia Manipole for Legio Astorum. Um, I still need to buy one Warhound, or not Warhound, sorry, Warlord Titan to finish that. But other than that, I am ready to go. Um, so that is one of my next uh, resolutions there. For Age of Sigmar, I want to finish painting my Forge World Corn Dragon. Um, I almost finished him, and then I had some airbrush issues um, in the back half of last year that really prevented me. That model requires a lot of fine airbrush work, and I wasn't comfortable doing it with my my base coat airbrush. So now that I got a new airbrush for Christmas, I'll be ready to get back going on that. I'm really excited to get that done. Uh, then I have uh, I want to paint all of the Serpent Horde models, all the Haradrim. Uh, that I will require for Gondor at War um, so that I can run all the narrative scenarios where they are in that book. That's a lot of models. It's a ton of models to paint. I think it's something like 48 warriors that doesn't even count the cavalry or their dismounts, two Mumax, at, actually three Mumax. So it's a it's a, going to be a ton of work, but I really love those models. I've got some great 3D prints as well for some of the out-of-print stuff. Um, I'm really excited to get get going on those. And then the last one uh, that I have as far as models to paint is I want to finish painting my Thorin's company. I got about halfway through painting those guys. Um, really fun to just take four or five hours on one model and it the results pay off. You guys have seen them. I, I think that they're some of my best work if I do say so myself, but I, I want to go ahead and get them finished. And then my last resolution is for every army that i paint this year i want to try a technique that i've never tried before so for my serpent horde army i've taken my first foray into non-metallic metal which is very difficult i've found but you guys have seen the pictures uh hopefully i'll get better as i go for my dark angels i started experimenting with enamels um so that's something that's new for me um uh, i think for my for my titanicus army this year i'm gonna play around with masking 
and see how that looks for me. And then I think that's all the armies I'm painting this year. But I want to really branch out. That's important to me is like branch out and expand my hobby toolbox. That brings up kind of an interesting point for people who are trying to work through their pile of shame. You talk about how there are some models that really want to be doted on where you use a lot of technique and get them looking very nice, get those centerpiece models. Have you guys, now that you've been in the hobby for for a while, okay, just being very basic with your line troops and the models you only see the back of, have you found smarter techniques to paint large batches with? Yeah, that's kind of my... I'll I'll take more time on my HQs or my heroes than I will my line troops. I will I'll contrast them. I'll try and find like a maybe like a two or three step base coat that'll work on like a lot of clothing or armor, and then I'll detail in a little bit of other stuff. And that I tend to call that good. Yeah, Brandon will know this about me. I'm the guy that has ten amazing painted models and then three hundred gray primed guys behind them. I just I've. I know that it's a good way to get an army done. I know an army all fully painted looks great, but I just can't, I can't walk away from those individual models when it comes to painting. I'm really bad about it. (laughs) Yeah. I see. I have the opposite problem is I have no problem slapping contrast down, even though it looks kind of shitty and then calling it good. Um, which is why I've decided I'm going to pick, try these new techniques on, on each army. So that, you know, if, if I do throw a um, contrast paint coat down um, on most of it, at least then, you know, like on my serpent horde, at least their swords will hopefully look really nice with that non-metallic metal, something like that. But I, I, I tend to be a lazy painter, but I, I do, I love the result at the end of the journey. I'm just not a big fan of taking the journey. So that that's my kind of problem. So I, where I tend to get hung up is the little things, the little details like, Painting ammo packs, painting hoses, belts, the, you know, like on the space Marines, they've got like the, the mesh behind their, their knees or in their, like they're in their elbows. I, that's a little bit of detail that I can live without. So I tend to ignore that stuff. And I found too, that the, the new paints that are out have made it easier, even not just using contrast, but my old orc formula was dark angels, green, and then a mix of goblin green and dark angels, green and then pure goblin green, and then a dry brush of bleached bone. So it's involves mixing in about four to five steps. And if I really wanted to get the saucy, you'd also do a thinned down wash of the green ink. Uh, but that was now five or six steps. Now I'm happy with most of those guys because the new washes are so good. I'm able just to do my bright color and then wash it down. And I've got this down to a lot of these works on just two or two or three steps instead of five or six. Yeah. A big thing for me um, that has helped me in kind of that department is, and, and Paul knows this about a lot of my stuff is that when I put the model down, I do not pick it back up. You know, there'll be, I'll, I'll talk to people and they'll see my army and they're like, Oh, you know, if you like added this little highlight in here or something like that, but I'm, I'm like, Nope, the model's been put down. It is now done. Because if I go back to it, I will never stop going back to it. That's something I kind of struggled with on the Balrog that I just painted was like, I was having a lot of fun. I was um, I, I was really getting into wet blending. It's how I, I got such a good fire effect on it. And I, I had only done that once before. Anyway, um, I just kind of kept going back and touching up this and touching up that. And then finally, I just had to put everything down and say, this has to be done. I can't, 
I can't keep coming back to this. If I do, it's just going to be over overdone. You know, that's why we call it Fulgrim's Quest. Yeah, and I definitely fall into that uh, Emperor's Children's Search for Perfection. Like, uh, I think a good example is my Space Marine Army uses a custom color blue that I hand mix that uses, uh, I think it's Lead Belcher, Kalidor Sky, and Cantor Blue, and I measure it out to the millimeter. (laughs) I actually, what I had to do is I had to buy a bunch of the paints and mix a giant pot of it just so I wouldn't have to keep doing it every time I painted a marine but it's i just find steps like that i mean the models look great but yeah i'll be working on that army for the rest of my life i will say that blue looks really good well thanks it's uh the effort pays off but yeah i definitely gotta light a fire under it on on all seven guys that are done (laughs) it looks crisp uh all right guys should we take a quick break here and then uh head into our next section Perfect. Sounds good. See you soon. Welcome back, everyone. We are going to jump into our next segment here and now, where we're talking about, we're going to talk about our legions, uh, the ones that we picked for Horus Heresy. Now, we've all talked about what we're playing in the past, but we want to kind of take a deep dive into each of our motivations here on why we picked the legion that we did, and then how we're theming that legion. I think each of us has really taken the time to kind of go the extra mile in painting these space marines. And that has to do with the fact that the Horus Heresy is such a lore-rich time period in the in the 40k universe, 40k, 30k. Um, and so I I don't know about you guys, but I, I spend a lot of time on on painting all, all of my space marines. I, I'd like to think that each of them is a character. Um, I'm certainly cutting corners. Uh, on the line troops compared to the actual characters, but I am going a lot farther than I would on another any you know another army for another game. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump in. We've saved the best for first, and that is me, the first legion, uh, the Dark Angels. Now uh, these guys here, you guys all know, I play chaos. Chaos is my thing. Chaos is my shtick. Been doing it for years really love chaos and that hasn't changed no it really hasn't (laughs) in more ways than one but when we decided we were all four going to get into 30k i know manipul you had said you had already picked your legion paul you had a different idea for a legion and that just didn't really bear out but you were both going traitors and so warwick and i decided to go loyalist now that's no no issue for warwick he's a filthy loyalist all the time but it was a big issue for me siding with the lap dogs so i i spent a long time we actually sat in a discord call i think for like 45 minutes with me just sitting there going down the forge world website going can i play these guys no i don't like this i don't like their color scheme oh i tried to start them back in the day and it didn't work out and i finally settled on dark angels and there was a couple of reasons for that. One, Descent of Angels is actually one of my favorite books in the Horus Heresy series. When I first jumped into reading it, I was like, 
I mean, you had to drag me kicking and screaming into it because it was Dark Angels and I thought that they were stupid. And in 40K, they are stupid. But when I read that book and and really got the knightly aspect of it, I just fell in love with them. Um, I thought that the lion was really cool despite his massive autism. And I, I loved the aesthetic of knights in space. Their like, you know, their chivalry and their honor. I, I loved all of that. And also it doesn't hurt that half the Legion turned traitor. So I just figured I'd kind of split the baby. But uh, anyway, that's that's kind of the, the quick down and dirty on why I picked my Legion. Let's jump over to, oh, who's next? In, actually, is Warwick. You're number 13. Yes, I picked the 13th Legion, and it was about like pulling teeth to get me to commit to this because uh, I, I know I've mentioned this uh, a little bit in the past. I used to make fun of 40K Ultramarines players because they can't read. They just follow the box art. They're not very original. I can go on. But like Brandon said, the, the kind of paradigm shift that we see between 30k and 40k in a lot of these legions is uh is very very different so uh the the rule set makes a lot of sense to me but the the most compelling reason for this and why i kind of originally brought up the idea was no no fear the book by dan abbott no no fear it is such a compelling book to why the ultramarines are not these pressed out of a mold automaton that 40k makes them out to be in 30k they were much more individualistic you know they all had their own personalities and dan abnett in in even the little vignettes you see of these characters in like a page and a half you see that he had a vision for this character when he wrote it and he he makes you care about them in a way that that makes them compelling now, the betrayal at Kelth was such a significant event for the Legion. It, it was one of the big things that turned me around on them. And it's because the word bearers had every single advantage in the book, and they still got their teeth kicked in. Because when you knock down an Ultramarine, there's 10,000 dudes that just look just like him behind him. So while they the word bearers might have gotten the drop on the Ultramarines, they certainly didn't have the advantage. Because as much of a knockdown drag out fight that turned into, the Ultramarines more or less came out on top. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'm going to be up next with the 16th Legion, the Sons of Horus. Kind of like Brandon mentioned before, I actually didn't choose them initially. One of my favorite armies has always been the World Eaters. I really like the concept of Corn Berserkers. Even back in the day when I first started playing, they were kind of my top pick. The one thing that kept me away from falling to chaos is the fact that the old corn berserker models were some of the ugliest models i've ever seen and not in a good way and i always told people hey as soon as you know corn berserkers get an update i'm going chaos which i guess they are soon now so i'll have to look into that but when heresy 1.0 dropped i was like well this will be a cool opportunity for me to look into that and I actually had a couple of like 1.0 lists for world eaters centered around like drop pot assaults, but you know, I never really got too fully invested in it just because of the cost at the time. So I thought 2.0 would be an opportunity to bring that around. But the thing that dissuaded me from it was that GW hasn't released any sort of chain axe or despoiler model sort of upgrade from it. 
And I was like, well, you know, I don't have access to a 3D printer. I think Brandon hadn't gotten his at the time. So I was like, I should probably look for something that I can get on the table to play, you know, without having to go dig around online to find conversion bits and convert an entire army. So I went with pick two, Sons of Horus. You know, the first three books of the Horus Heresy series have always been my top books just in general for Warhammer. Um, they're just really well written. Lord Loken and Abaddon are cool characters. Horus, you know, he's the guy that kicks it off. And if you're going to go traitor, you should go with the main guy. So uh, that's what I went with. In terms of theming the army, it's kind of a mixture for me. I'm running Abaddon. So there is this idea of running, you know, the elites, the cream of the crop for the Sons of Horus. Um, but also kind of pairing with the new Mark VI models, because a lot of the stuff I'm running is based out of that Age of Darkness starter box. There's something in the lore that I don't think we've gotten to in the books yet, which is as the heresies moved on, the traitor legions are unable to uh, restock their numbers with Gene Seed. And so they've been like hot batching fake Astartes using Dark Mechanicum tech. And so they're these like proto fake space Marines in like fancy new armor that aren't really battle tested. And that's how I'm trying to kind of do the whole paint scheme around these new guys. And I am the last with the 20th Legion. I'd had a interest in the Alpha Legion for a long time. They were one that, as I recall, they never had their own supplement in the cast space Marines books and very few rules. I think Back in the old days, they were the ones who ran a lot of cultists. But in those days, you didn't have cultist models. They weren't released yet. When the cultist models did come out, I just put them right in my Word Bearers army because they had a lot of rules for using cultists with them in the previous editions. But the Alpha Legion was always in my mind. I think I've talked previously about some models I'd seen online and really liked that kind of greenish blue color and thought that they're a, a legion that has a lot of moral there's a lot of ambiguity to them. You know, what are their motivations? Why do they do what they do? And to me, it's, it was a very much a 40 K theme is you don't really know what's going on. And there's the truth, but there's, there's also other truths and you have a lot of unreliable uh, narrators in there, but the alpha legion are the guys who seem to know what's going on. And I wanted to dive into that. I knew once I started making an army, in my mind, at least I could kind of clarify some of those things that were going on in the uh, in the background of the lore. So the as I started assembling my guys, as uh, Paul said, I I know that they there were a lot of legions who, when they're off uh, doing things in the in the field, they don't always get a resupply, especially for someone like the Alpha Legion who's trying to stay incognito and hidden. They're not going to be going to the Mechanicum store to buy get a bunch of Mark VI. So I had the original Horus Heresy box sets, the um, Betrayal at Calf, and the Burning of Prospero, which meant that I had a ton of Mark uh, Mark III and IV Marines. And I thought, well, I'm going to start to mix and match some of those together to make guys into Mar really Mark V. Because Mark V was what the legions put together out of old bits and pieces they found, reinforced and showed that this was kind of the the, the heresy armor. So in my headcanon, they're in the Ultramar region and the Imperium Segundus, 
uh, fighting against both sides. You know, they're doing a lot of um, sneaky stuff in the background. So I've got a lot of communication equipment modeled onto them, hodgepodges of armor. It said that the Alpha Legion would mix up their squad markings and do all sorts of different heraldry to confuse anybody who's watching them. And so I tried to make this army look as um, non-conforming as possible with all their different war gear choices and all this stuff. But in the end, I, th- I think it's 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 come together the way I wanted it to. But I will say, uh, sometimes it's good to play a few games before you finish painting. So, you know, if you've made some wrong squad choices, you can switch some stuff up without putting a lot of effort into it. So that's where I'm at now. I can still repair or change things around uh, uh, before I move on to the finishing the paint side. Yeah, I'll talk quickly about the theme that I picked for for my army as well, since I forgot to do that initially. I, Warwick, you and I worked uh, a lot together on how we wanted to do it because you and I wanted to team up in in our fight against the traitors. And that's kind of how we settled on this idea of Imperium Secundus. Uh, Once you had picked Ultramarines and I had picked Dark Angels. And I took it a little bit further than that since I wanted to use the oil paints and make my guys very grungy. I wanted to have some kind of bright base colors uh, or colors on the base, I should say, to give it a little bit of contrast. So I went with like a forest theme base. So when you look at my guys, you could say, well, you know, they're just out in the Imperium Secundus and they haven't gone back for a resupply in a while. Uh, But you could also say that it's possibly the scouring of Caliban as well. Um, And that's what I was kind of going to. Yeah, either way, going for a mid to late heresy where things would just not not be clean, not look nice, nothing like that. And I, I wanted them to fit in with Warwick's Ultramarines as well, where he was going with a lot of those Kalth veterans um, with that dirty look. And I I went with a lot of the straight up Mark VI. The way I looked at it is these guys are the first Legion. If Mark VI came out, they should probably have the most of it. Um, so I felt pretty good about making most of my troops in the Mark VI armor. But that's that's how I would ended up settling on, you know, going with the oil paints and stuff like that. Um, as well as, you know, I struggled for a long time with how to do black and make it look good. Um, and I really think that the the enamel washes really bring out some some variety and color on that scheme. So for the theme on my Kalth vets, that's basically what I wanted to do uh, in it. So I, I wanted to roll that kind of already battle-worn veteran look into Imperium Secundus where it's very reflective of how dark a time period that is for Ultramar. The, the 500 worlds are, are burning due to the Shadow Crusade by Lorgar and Angron, and everyone is kind of bu- pushed to their breaking point. So I wanted, I wanted the vast majority of my army to reflect that very dark theme almost, and that's kind of some of the feedback that I get is that they're very dark, and that's, as I've said, that's pretty much what the the era indicates. So it's it gave me a really interesting opportunity to work on the stippling technique that I've worked and then just a, a very light little bit of edge highlighting here and there. And I feel like it's been a lot of fun to learn and kind of do something a little bit different. I I didn't expect that I would like working with blue as much as I do because I haven't done it very much. And the same thing, I kind of had the same experience when I was painting some uh, green models for Battletech. So um, just this kind of experience of working with different colors has been very fun for me. And I got to say that 
you know, your weathering game over the past like six months, your has really stepped up. I've been incredibly impressed with some of the stuff that you've been working on. It looks very good. I've had a lot of fun learning that too, because in the the beginning with me, it was very much just slop and go, just get it out of the way. But I've, I've really had a lot of fun kind of refining these techniques. All right. Well, I think that wraps up kind of our, our lesion and themes section here. Um, I, for one, am looking forward to when we all get a 3000 point list painted and then we can all throw it on the table in one massive game against all of each other. Uh, yeah, so Sons of Horus, kind of working off of the theme of a more late war uh, legion and kind of playing off of these like fast, fast built, unbattle tested sort of marines. Um, I actually went with a paint scheme that kind of plays off of a tutorial that Cult of Paint put out a little while ago on painting Sons of Horus. The idea is you take the base Sons of Horus green and then desaturate the color. It uh, gives it this sort of like faded out look. So it looks like they've been wearing the armor for a long time um, and haven't had the chance to put a fresh cone of paint on them. Kind of, um, you know, alluding to the long war that they've been fighting. So generally you're using a lighter green. I'm using Vallejo Sky Green um, as well as a black. And you're kind of putting a gradient on the models with an airbrush. Um, and that sky green and that black wash out the Sons of Horus green um, and really take a lot of the vibrancy out of it. And then on top of that, you're doing a lot of weathering techniques with oils and inks and stuff to really dirty the armor up. I will be eventually working with weathering powder. I used it once or twice before to pretty mediocre effect. So it's going to be a, uh, a new challenge to see if I can really apply it properly to these models. Yeah, one of the problems with using weathering powders is that you have to go to the women's makeup section and look for those little sponge brushes. And it, it's helpful if you have a sister or a female friend who can go show you where they're at. That is my number one source of dry brushes, is stealing my wife's makeup brushes. Don't knock it until you try it. It's fantastic. They're so, they're so good. So when I was looking at my paint scheme, I did some test bottles, and I found the, the right color contrast paint over a metallic base that uh, has worked pretty good. The, the paint scheme is going to be fairly simple. Uh, um, the model that Paul got me for Christmas has the scales hand-painted on. I'm going to try to do that on a few of the character models, but most of my troops have sculpted scales on their bases, so I can just dry brush most of that stuff. What I really wanted to look into on this build also was the basing. Uh, a lot of times I've struggled to make basing look really good. I went out and bought some uh, different kinds of flock and little paper cut alien uh, foliage that I'm going to be gluing onto the bases to make them look like they're on some bizarre alien world. And I want to kind of also tie that into the the resin bases I got that are like these broken flagstones. So they're going to be in some sort of an old ruined temple where they've set up their base. And I actually have enough terrain where I think I can make a big ruined church as a set piece and have them set up all of their little communications gear in one corner and an infirmary and a sleeping area and have them all set up inside this ruined chapel that I've got. And that's a project I've been sitting on for a long time. It's in a box and ready to go. So the goal is when we have this big game, when we all set up, I can bring that whole display board down and have everything ready to go. That'll be a titanic uh, uh, accomplishment if I do, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll be really excited for us to get a big three, 
6,000 point game of multiple legions against each other going. That'll be a really good time. Can't wait. Well, thanks for talking through um, all of our legions and themes, guys. I know that a lot of thought went into this for, for each of us, so it's always fun to share that. But uh, let's get to our Longbeard section, the roundtable, uh, with our Plundering the Vaults. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you here, Manipal. Yeah, thanks, guys. As I was thinking about Plundering the Vaults this time around, I wanted to go with kind of an RPG sort of theme, and it led me down an interesting path. Last time we talked about the Inquisitor game, and I think if you did find a copy of Inquisitor, it'd be easy enough to run a 30k campaign with that. You could have some Imperial investigators going in trying to figure out what's going on. It'd be a fun little fun little campaign to go through. But then I thought about the, the, one of the main problems with 40k roleplay over the years is that everybody wants to play Space Marines, but they are so overpowered that you put them in any sort of other setting other than a battlefield what do they do? It's hard for me to walk into the tavern and talk to the barkeep and chat up the merchant over in the corner and talk about buying some horses. You know, it's, it's just not going to work for a space Marine. You're, a lot of your typical RPG tropes just don't work. Uh, space Marines usually are on the battlefield. When we see them in the novels, they're with other space Marines and the human characters in there are often forming these, they're important parts of the plot, but any space marine could just walk over and squish their head and they'd be done. And so working with that balance in any kind of RPG is a little bit difficult. So I did look at the old uh, Final Fantasy set of games with Dark Heresy. There was a Death Watch setting and a Chaos setting that had some pretty extensive rules for playing space marines. And uh, playing a Death Watch campaign is really fun. Warwick, you were on that with me, weren't you? You played a long fang? Yeah, I don't remember his name, but I played played a long fang for a couple of adventures in that. Yeah. And uh, just running the heavy bolter with the hellfire shells was a lot of fun. And so in that game, if the, if the space marines were up against regular human characters, basically the space marines had a 10 times multiplier in all their stats. So they were 10 times more than anyone else in the game. And the balance really became an issue. So then I, th- I got thinking about, well, what if you're going to do an RPG? Maybe it would look something more like Kill Team. And there have been a number of different versions of Kill Team, which is probably the subject of another plundering the vaults down the line. But that game, I think, is uh, they don't it doesn't really have a 30K uh, feel to it. Uh, and in the novels, you don't usually see these little kill teams running around and uh, fighting little little battles over small things. They're always big events, right? Uh, Warwick or AP, can you think of any examples in the books where you've seen like a kill team going in of like five battle-hardened space Marines going in to accomplish an impossible task? Yeah, that happens a lot in the the Blood Angels books and the Space Wolves books. I think those are pretty well written. Okay. So that would be a potential there. But when I got thinking about the sort of campaign that I would want to run if I was going to do some kind of RPG, I would really be more interested in kind of a small combat patrol type game. And back in fourth edition, they did release this combat patrol rule set and it had some uh, interesting rules in fourth edition. The idea was that you would make an army of 400 points. You had to have at least one troop choice. And then there were a lot of limitations on what else you could bring. You could have an HQ, 
None of your models could have more than two wounds, no special or named characters, nothing with a two plus save. So that meant there were no Terminators and smaller vehicles, no flyers, no fortifications. It was really supposed to be focused on the troops. Uh, Your troops had the objectives that they were going to get and it really limited the scope of those games. So you're talking about more of a skirmish game where there are, there are less shenanigans almost. For skirmish, I would say that that would be like 12 models or less. This was still going to be about 25 to 30 models, depending on what army you're at. So it's it's really more in that small war game category, more so than a skirmish game. And this was something like War Machine was doing at the time, where War Machine would have... I don't know if you really call... Early on, War Machine was a skirmish game. It very quickly got bigger. Would you guys agree if you played that game? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so in the fourth edition Combat, Patro- Combat Patrols, there was a very, some very simple missions... They were based on a four by four play area and 400 points would still get you some nice stuff. You get some troops and elite, maybe even a rhino. You could have some fun games. The problem was that it, it got broken pretty quickly. Once guys kind of figured out the, the, the most, uh, the highest value troops, they were just kind of spamming the same things. And it really was meant to be played in more of a narrative type campaign or just to paint up some models quick, try the game out and see if you liked it. And at 400 points, they were going to be small. So then there wasn't much on the combat patrol game because the next editions, I think had rules for smaller games or uh, to an extent in seventh edition, you got an even more expanded version of it. Still, it was at 400 points and the uh, limitations were still there on your troops. You had to have at least one troop, but then it was, up to one HQ, elite, fast attack, heavy support. So you could have one of each of those if you could fit them in the points. At 400 points, you're not going to get a land. You could probably afford a land raider, but you could not exceed an armor, a certain armor value. And I pulled the set of rules off an old Adepticon rule sheet that said if you brought a vehicle that was higher than 12 armor, it was reduced to 12 armor for that game. So your 14 armor land raider was reduced to 12. If you had a character with more than two wounds, he was reduced to two wounds. If you had, uh, the only exception was swarm units, I think. Uh, Psychers could only manifest one charge or one power. And then your, uh, uh, you you guys probably remember 7th edition, flyers were pretty broken. So they did have a little modification on the flyer rule. So in, in all that, I thought, and recently... GW has just come out with a new set of rules for this for ninth edition. It's you can have up, up to three troops, up to three elites, up to one HQ, and it's supposed to kind of be very free form. You can make a lot of different combinations with that. There's no unit minimum requirements, and again, it's supposed to get um, these small games going. Now the problem was when I thought about this in terms of playing 30k, because everything is bigger in 30k. So when I sat down to look how a combat patrol would look in this game i think you've really got to have a minimum of 500 points would you guys agree that 500 really does seem like the minimum yeah i think it makes it really tricky to feel like you're getting enough stopping power in a list and still enough like just 
just beef to take, you know, to take hits and then be able to dish it back out. So I really struggled when you, when you sent out the, the kind of parameters for this, I really struggled, struggled to figure out what I was going to take. Yeah. This was actually one of my critiques of the game when uh, I first jumped in and I joined the local escalation league was we were running the regular force organization chart. And at the time I also felt that, you know, well, a unique thing about 30K is the right of war, so I need to be taking a right of war. And what I found was that with the right of war, at these lower points levels, you could basically just get the baseline minimum for that, and you could bring nothing else. And that was a big problem for me, and I stand by the fact that I think this game flourishes at 3,000 points. Uh, but you've done an interesting thing with the four sword chart here that I've sure that you'll get into, which I, I actually think makes this work a lot better. Right. So in the in the main game, you've got to have an HQ and two troops, correct? Or is it three troops? And then depending on two troops, and then at certain points values, then you can start to bring in a Lord of War and some of this other stuff. So there's some limitations. On this one, I think if, if I was going to sit down and, and thought of a small elite Horus Heresy type force, I wouldn't necessarily see troops in that. I could see a couple squads of veterans. That's that's a question that I had because there are specific troop choices that are compulsory troops. Like a tactical squad is a compulsory uh, compulsory troop choice. You have to have them, and I think um, assault squads are compulsory troops as well. Now, like the the tactical support squads they don't count as compulsory troops so if you just take two tactical support squads they don't count towards your two troop minimum so like you said i i I, and i'm in agreement the kind of compulsory compulsory i'm having trouble saying that now compulsory compulsory troop choices should be modified a little bit for that setting yeah at 500 points you can't if, if everybody had to take those those minimums everybody would have to be running the same force. So this is very much what you're making is a combat patrol detachment, which is different from the crusade detachment that we're most familiar with. So then that opens it up where you could have an HQ, you could have some elites or troops, but I did want to limit it to fast, heavy, and your legion-specific units to one each because those could really unbalance the game very quickly. If you got a, um, you know two tanks that were 250 points, it wouldn't be very much fun for your opponent. But by limiting it to one, you could still get some interesting stuff in there. I also included the uh, the armor rating value uh, cannot be has to be 33 or less. I think I put it on here. You can't have 34 or more, but it has to be 33 or less. So you're not going to get a, a, a Land Raider in this or a Typhon. Uh, so that does limit the sort of vehicles you can use. But remember, Dreadnoughts don't have armor value. So they don't fall under that rule. So you could still have a, a Dreadnought. And I said, no Lords of War, no special characters, and you're not going to have a Warlord trait or a Rite of War. So that being said, I put together a few sample lists here of what uh, some sample armies might look like. And I, I just started with uh, my Alpha Legion and did, well, if I started with my Saboteur and then did 12 Breachers, because I think Breachers are cool, and Ted Headhunters, That'd be a neat, neat little force. Ten headhunters are good, good anywhere. This doesn't have the ability to take down much armor, but that um, saboteur could get close enough, or maybe with a, 
uh, the right kind of bomb, maybe he would. Uh, did you guys get a chance to put together 500 points or want to look at those any of those other ones I made and tell me what you think? So I did, and um, I was following the the force organization chart as I knew it at the time. So what I wound up with was a Centurion. I just took the base Centurion with a Legatine Axe and a Aubram pa- uh, Pattern Boarding Shield. And then I took two 10-man squads of tactical marines with chain bayonets. The sergeants both have hand flamers and artificer armor. Uh, so I feel like they're they're fairly versatile in the... They can do a little shooting and they can do a little bit of melee. And the, I think the sergeants both have power weapons. So, I mean, they're, that's a pretty nasty setup right there. That, at least that's the experience that I've had because those... Chain bayonets were even able to kind of hold their own against your Alpha Legion veterans in the couple of games that we've played. And then uh, I also took a heavy support squad, uh, five guys with just um, uh, Volkite Culverins. So I feel like that gives me a fair amount of fire support, uh, troop versatility. So I, I felt like I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and that's 26 models. So you're doing pretty well with that. And I think the. Uh, most of the scenarios, if I put together scenarios for this, I would say if you have a group of 10 or more legionaries, you can make them into combat squads of five men each. So now you're looking at four squads, five squads out of that. Yeah, so the list I was working on, I kind of did the same thing Warwick did, working with the standard force org chart. So I ended up running a Master of Signals, two tax squads with no upgrades, and a seven-man heavy support squad with LAS cannons. At 500 points, it is a bit of a gamey list because it, it does center around Laz Cannons winning the game for you. Right. But there's going to be very little at that points level that can't that can take seven Laz Cannons to the face, especially with a Master of Signals bumping them to a two-up ballistic skill. And the tax squads, at this points level, where they're not going to be having to deal with a lot of Terminators and Contemptors, uh, will get a lot more mileage. Um, just being able to park on objectives and get Fury and Heart of the Legion, it's going to give them a lot of play. So that's kind of the idea. Yeah, I, I took your four sword chart here um, and I put something together myself. Um, and I was thinking, well, you know, what would I send out on a standard combat patrol? Well, I would want, if I was sending a squad out on their own, I would want some armor backing them up. So I chose to take a um, a Centurion that I upgraded to be a Paladin of the Hecatonistica. Uh, so he gets his Tyrannic Greatsword. And then I, I sent out one tactical squad with chain bayonets, a Vexilla, and an Augury Scanner. Um, and with them, I attached an Apothecary with Artificer Armor. And then finally, backing them up, I sent a Contemptor with a Melta Cannon. So... Those not much in the game can stand up to seven las cannons, but I like my chances. So <laughs> um, that was kind of my thoughts on it. Was you know if I was going to send out a small patrol like this in an era like the Heresy where they could get ambushed by a lot, I wanted something big backing up my guys. So then, once I thought about this five hundred points, I was still kind of in that idea of what if this was a narrative campaign? I think actually setting up. If you're going to do a narrative campaign with a full 30k army, you're looking at a minimum of 2,000 point force. You guys all know how long it takes to play those big games all the time for setup. But if you just had a day with one of your buddies, like a free Saturday, and wanted to get two or three games in, you could set up a little ladder campaign 
with the uh, with these 500 point lists and probably get three games in pretty easy. Learn the rules, figure out what units work, maybe between games switch out a unit to see if you like it better and try some stuff out. But then I thought, well, what if we really wanted to push up that role play element? What if all four of us sat down and okay, I'll be DM and you three decide that you are going to put together a combat patrol we're going to RPG with? So here's the question. What is a legion that we all like and would play besides Imperial Fists? Iron within, iron without. <laughs> Death to the False Emperor. Oh boy, that's a tough one. I mean, who's who kind of has it all? Uh, if you're looking for versatility, it'd be Dark Angels or Imperial Fists or Ultramarines, probably. You, you're never going to get me into a campaign where I have to play an Imperial Fist. <laughs> like, I'm just letting you know right now. Who do we all like? That's a good one. You know, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of split the baby here on you, Manipul. What if we did a Broken Legions Oh, campaign? yeah, like a, a Shattered Legions where it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah I know what you're saying. It's, so it's, it's fragments of Istvan and the, the following campaigns that have, have come together. Well, see, that's why yeah. I was thinking Raven Guard. Kind of, sort of, but they have that whole narrative where they go back to Deliverance and they're trying to clone their Legion. Salamanders? Anybody likes the Salamanders? That's their Salamanders, yeah. Vulcan is kind of a Chad. AP? Yeah, I mean, that would work for me. It, it does, the Shattered Legions does have a kind of the equivalent of 40k of the death watch it's why they're so popular in a lot of the rpg settings that they make for them is because you can run literally anything together so yeah going black shields would really work so then we call our campaign the black shields and each of you come up with a unit in this 500 points you know say brandon you're going to be the brave sergeant of these five cataphractic terminators that are left Warwick, you are some horribly mutilated veteran who's been stuffed into a contemptor. And and Paul, you are the old grizzled legionnaire who takes over command of the last remaining tactical squad of your of your regiment. And now the three of you have to come together and figure out how you're going to one, get back to Holy Terra, or B, cause as much damage to the traitors as possible before they kill you. So when we play this campaign, there'll be a narrative section where we kind of play this out and say, well, we're going to go here, go there. And honestly, I wouldn't care so much about rolling dice. I wouldn't say, okay, now roll a 2d20 and see what happens. I would just kind of play that all out. And then depending on your choices, I'd set up a, a, a combat. And what a lot of guys have been doing with their RPGs that are based on like map-based things is I would just put, put my camera over a battlefield I'd have set up, put the models in place and say, okay, where are you going to go? And we're going to play a combat patrol, you, you three versus me. And I'll just be running as, you know, whatever enemy you've picked, and that's how the campaign plays. So I think it'd be interesting to play it that way. I don't know, what do you think? Would that actually work? Honestly, that sounds like a lot of fun. It reminds me a lot of the old Rogue Trader rules, where the two players would set up and there'd be a DM officiating the match and introducing other elements outside of the two armies fighting each other. It's cool. Yeah. Now we're really plundering the vaults with that. One. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Listen, kid, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Return me to my ancient slumber at once. Yeah, Warwick in that situation would just get to be old man who yells at a cloud. Yeah, he'd be good. You at had it. me at contempt or dreadnought. <laughs> I'm all about it. I'd be some pissed off old iron hand. All right. Well, uh, once you finish our Wifrup campaign, maybe we go that way. So I think uh, if you, again, fellas, if you are looking at trying something new with your games, go bust out an old white dwarf or look at a previous edition of of uh, 40K. Particularly when I was looking at fourth edition, that's where we see the first rules for kill team. And there's some really interesting ideas in there. So Grab an old rule book. If you see something bouncing around for five bucks on eBay, pick it up and see what's in there. Lot, lots of good stuff to find. That's that's a great shout out, Manipal. Um, actually, some of the guys I was talking to locally here, you know, they kind of had the same um, thought process, but they did something completely different. They went way big uh, instead of very small, which is they broke out the old fourth edition rules for orcs and they did Olinor. So that's something you can do too. You're talking about Apocalypse? Yeah. Yeah. Those old apocalypse games are so much fun. Oh, oh my wallet oh, hurts man. just thinking about it, but that is cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I know we're going to touch on the Warhammer plus thing in a, in a future roundtable, but I think that a lot of those old white dwarfs are showing up on that da- database now. So if you've got Warhammer plus, I think you've got access to a lot of that old content. Look at that. We found a value in Warhammer plus. Amazing. Never thought that was going to happen. That's why we plunder the vaults. You never know what you're going to find, but fellas. All right. Well, I think we should probably go ahead and wrap it up here, guys. Great conversation tonight. Always a pleasure to have everybody on, you know, just talking hobby. Um, I look forward to this every time we do it. Um, so th- thanks for stopping by Manipole and Paul in particular. Um, Warwick and I are kind of always here, so. Yep. Thanks for having us. What's our? Are we going to do a book soon? What's up next in your list? Um, well, the next book is going to be Battle for the Abyss. Uh, we had not planned to have a guest on that one because it's such a it's such a slog. Oh, uh, really? Um, I I think I like that book. Do you want to come on for that one? Yeah, we'll we'll talk. Um, I guess if I got you, my copy at home, but yeah. You want to host that one by yourself? <laughs> have fun. <laughs> I play word bears, man. Yeah, well, the word bears are not the worst part of that book. Let's just say that. Folks, don't be yeah, The problem with that book is that I was cheering for the word bearers. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Brutal. All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. If you've gotten this far, we appreciate it. Look us up on social media. It's LegionCast18, a Horse Heresy podcast on Twitter. And LegionCast18. 18 at gmail.com if you'd like to shoot us an email we like responding to fan content and um or or fan feedback anyway and don't forget to leave us a like or a rating and a comment thanks for stopping by yep thanks for stopping by everyone and march in fortune